We've got Glenn Corrupt Vision Murray with us today, um, media mogul of the triathlon world. And um, we've been asking Glenn to come on for a while. It was sort of a scheduling issue between all of us, but we finally got a time that worked for all of us. Really pleased to have you here, Glenn. You've been a crucial part behind many of the pros' careers, you know, giving us constant content um, for marketing our own sponsors and our own brand. Um, certainly saved me some uh, through COVID times and kept some sponsors on board to extend my career that little bit longer. So, you know, a great friend to all of us, an amazing uh, photographer and videographer. So welcome, Glenn. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Tim, Steve, Danny. Great to be great to be on the on the pod with you guys, having a bit of a chat. Um, yeah, obviously, timing wise, after what's happened over the weekend in Hamburg, um, yeah, we all sit here with pretty heavy hearts a little bit. Um, and yeah, it'd be be great to chat and hopefully give the listeners a bit more of an insight about you know what I do or what the the media and other photographers and that. Um, do when we're out on course and interacting obviously with the pro race too um, because a lot of our coverage is obviously um, directed at the pros but yeah stoked to be on boys yeah I, I guess Glenn um, I think we, we probably have to address the tragedy that's happened in in Hamburg over the weekend first off it wasn't what we planned on discussing um, I mean we did plan on discussing media the role of media anyway um, and I think it's just become you know, something that we can't skip past. Um, that's going to have to be the first thing we do discuss. Obviously, incredibly sad what happened in Hamburg. Um, I think there was uh, the saddest thing about it. I, I think obviously there will be changes made to how things are done. I think it's just sad that's had to be such a um, such a tragedy to happen before those changes have been made. And and we can't beat around the bush. I think pros have been calling for changes to that for quite some time, but. Obviously, I look at it from a pro perspective and a fair racing perspective of, of where media can sit and how it plays out um, and not being the strongest of swimmers. Often it's you watch the race go up the road and you know you've got no chance with, with that many motorbikes on the course. Can you talk to me first about um, how does it work with the live coverage? How many motorbikes are necessary at the moment and what's the other potentially, what do you see as better options or alternative options to how it could be done? Yeah, look, I think, firstly, changes have been made. Um, the system that's in place in Kona, um, which has uh, been in place for quite a while, has has a regulate, like a marshal that regulates bikes that go in and out of zones. Um, here in Oceania, we have the same sort of thing, you know, just a recent conversation um, about what's happening with the live broadcast at Ironman Cairns and what bikes will be able to go in and out of zones. Look, I think what we need to understand is when there's a live broadcast, it it adds a different element to a race. So live broadcast brings uh, two to four motorbikes, depending on, um, you know, if it's split between male and female. And those live broadcast bikes will, as you know, be on the front of the race and they'll either be on the leader or the lead group and they'll move up and down the group. But the live broadcast takes the number one position you know what i mean it, it's it's up to them and it's up to them who they shoot and then me as a photographer um even if i'm working as official photographer for ironman or if I, when i was working for a magazine i'll then have to work around those live broadcast motorbikes so then of course you have technical officials 
sometimes you might have a race director or someone coming through on a motorbike that needs to get to another issue. There's, there's so much in play um, on a bike course during a big event, not just an Ironman event. Like if we've all seen the Tour de France coverage and stuff like that, there's, there's motorbikes and cars and stuff everywhere. Another topic, but yeah, look, it's not, it's like watching that footage on Sunday, you know, like instantly, the you you know you yeah your heart sinks and and yeah it was yeah it was pretty bad to watch but you know for me being on a moto all the time you know for many years now there's there's times where I, you can't think about stuff like that if, if that makes a bit of sense you know like to this morning's been um pretty sad for me when i reflect back on you know who that could have been on the back of the bike as a photographer josh amberger um stated that pretty well that he was then continuing through the race thinking was that you know james mitchell or someone that he knew over there and and i and i can really like relate to that from what berger said i thought his his post was spot on and um probably going a little bit off track there but so yeah there's definitely a a setup with live broadcast bikes, um, media, whether that be official photographers and official videographers. I think what we most people don't understand is the live broadcast, that video goes to the feed, and, but then there'll be other videographers who are there just to capture that, you know, four or five minute video that, that promotes the race. Then there'll be an official photographer, one or two of those. And everyone's got different jobs and different roles and different people that they want to capture throughout the race you know um potentially with what happened there's obviously quite a few motorbikes in that um, chain and it's early at the start of the race and we all know this in kona that the chain that goes out or what used to happen is all the media bikes they're trying to they want to get that shot of of yarn of sebi um, especially in Europe, you know, the Germans, they, they, they want to be able to capture all the Germans. So everyone wants to get that first shot almost and then move on to other sections of the course. It's almost like getting a shot in the bank. Um, some media will want to roll video. They can only do that by being on a motorbike. So there's so many things that are going into play and, you know, a tragic accident happens like like what happened and, yeah, it's 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 big. It's a time to to rethink um, what's going on. But as I said, changes have been made. Like mm. in Kona, it's it's regulated. We have to come up to a marshal who sits at the back of the group, and you'll talk to that marshal and you'll say either I want to film with Tim Reed, and then I want to go through and you know hop off the motorbike, take a shot, and come back on. And and you do that several times, and they'll. If it's not clear or if there's too many motorbikes now in that front group, in that chain, they won't let you go in. You'll have to wait. Um, and there's times then too where the helicopter will be filming from above in Kona where no motorbikes will be allowed to go in the chain. So they'll be, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of moving parts to bring that broadcast to life. And we want to have good quality broadcasts in for Ironman racing. We want to show off... Um, guys like Steve McKenna, you know, who's, we, we want him to be able to have 
TV coverage. We we want him to. I want him to be able to have photos from me at the end of the race, so he can use to post and promote the race. It's, but we want safe racing as well. A hundred percent, a thousand percent. We want safe racing for pros and and for age groupers. And it, and I can only speak for what the people I work with here in Oceania. And I do work for Ironman. You know, when we go to Kona, and you know, I work in with um the other uh with the american crew and stuff like that but but here in oceania i i know these race directors and the guys who look after the bike horses and that really well and they're that they'd be they'd be so upset by what happened on the weekend and then and if that ever happened at at one of the races here in oceania i i just know that that would rip those guys apart they they work so hard to set up these events and to make sure that everything's safe to work with local you know, local businesses and, you know, locals where that are going to be affected traffic wise. And it's, it's all they, it, it, they're consumed by it, you know, for weeks and months and months. And then on race day, and I even watched it at Port Macquarie because they had the new bike course, you know, a, a local comes up, there was locals there standing on the road and I was shooting and they're cheering on. And so the, the guys come past with Steve and Burks and that, and then one local drives up in a car and just starts yelling abuse, you know, from the side of the road because he can't get out onto the, on onto the um to the road to go where he needs to, and and this is the thing that where the I Man is dealing with, or not just I Man, any race that gets put on, um, is dealing with on a constant basis. It's that interplay of the safety and the race going ahead and us you know, being able to have great courses and then also, you know, the effect that it has on the local people in the town. So maybe I'm going a little bit off track here, but there is, there's so much that goes on in regards to, uh, yeah, broadcast, even just the race being safe and going live. And, and it's, yeah, sometimes mistakes are made. Glenn, do you reckon they made a mistake on this one with, you know how, um, for an example, the Canadian Open, they had a motorbike or two following Lionel as soon as he came out of the water. And obviously that's way behind, um, you know, the leaders and they'd have a camera following the leaders or two. And then they would have a camera following whoever else, you know, one of the Norwegians they want to, or both of them. But if they all come out together, do you reckon there's a mistake in this European race where too many of the people they are supposed to have followed separately are in the same spot? Is that what's happened here? Potentially, yeah, potentially. And look, I think, as I said, with the European races, that the German, the Germans have been so strong, and they've they've got a huge presence. You know, Jan and Sebi and Patrick, to name just three of them. And the the yeah, the German media want to want to be able to cover those guys. Um, you know, look, you got to look at a couple of things here. Most of the motorbike riders are volunteers for one. So I, once again, it's hard for me to speak about um, Europe because I'm not sure, but I've, you know, like all the guys I've dealt with here in Australia and there's some guys who turn up and you have the same moto year after year after year at different events, but they're pretty much all volunteers. They volunteer, they get looked after, um, you know, to come and volunteer. Um, once again, most of the people I've had, I've had amazing motorbike riders, like really good, technical motorbike riders I've, you know if i ask them to do something or whatever we need to do that they're they're spot on you know what i mean um 
So you do have to remember, yeah, that they are volunteers. Um, potentially, you know, where improvement could be made is, you know, those riders who are doing the live broadcast. Once again, it's just a suggestion here is, is that they are, you know, the top of the top. And same thing, there's a, there's a group um, of motorbike riders who go out to Kona who go come over from the mainland US who are basically, you know, professionals at what they do and they come and they ride for the media in Kona. And they're, once again, they're amazing at what they do, you know, and they know it well and they do it all the time. So potentially there's the, there's, there's things to work on there. Whereas a motorbike rider who, who doesn't know Lionel, who doesn't know Steve, he, he doesn't know who he's following. He's just got the camera and the cameraman's there and, you know, they're tracking along with Lionel. I I personally feel like the motorbike video live broadcast could move between athletes better. I 100% think that that could be done better. Um, but once again, there's a lot of moving parts in that. There, You know, that would mean that photographers and other triathlon media might not be able to go into that space because the broadcast motorbike would have to move up and down the chain to film everyone, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, look, there's going to be a lot of conversation about Yeah, and I think and what then, you said, um, Glenn, was we've got to remember that we're trying to get – we are trying to – they are trying to do the right thing by pros and by the sport. So, yes, that didn't get it right in Hamburg, but there's so many races where I agree they've, it's really been done well. And the reason, unfortunately, so many people – saw this tragedy was because that there was live coverage um so it's like it's a it's a you do have to weigh up the risks and benefits and obviously the risks were just too extreme for this this particular event but you know everyone's going to jump on really slamming iron man but you got to remember this was a this was um horrible but it's not it's not par for the course with how they most events are doing it. So I think that's important to note that, and that you said that and hundred percent, right. Yeah. And important changes have been made. So, um, important changes have been made. It, there's, there's other, you, you know, like things have happened in the past where cars have pulled out on people, people have stepped off the road into a race, into pro races and, and people have crashed like mistakes happen and they're going to in, 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 in an event with so many moving parts over such a huge distance, things, you know, you don't want to say it, but things sometimes are going to go wrong. And I think, you know, as I've said, from what I've seen with what the guys here do in Oceania, they do everything they can to minimise those those mistakes, you know. And um, so, yes, definitely the, the conversation is going to be um, opened up and there's going to be a lot of people giving their opinion, but there's also a lot of people who who – really shouldn't be giving an opinion and will be and i just think you know you need to listen to for one the, the pros yes for two the, the media and everyone needs to work in together it's we still we want to have coverage we want to have good coverage um but we you know back to that thing we definitely want to have safe racing what about the use of drones glenn and are there are there limitations unfortunately with those yeah that could get bikes off right yeah it could get bikes off there's there's definitely limitations because you go um into different flight zones depending on so every you know for us to use a drone 
um, in Cairns. There's certain areas like we we can't fly in in this in town in Cairns. We can fly out on the bike course, um, even things for the swim. We're going to have the rescue helicopter up in the air. So anytime the rescue helicopter's up in the air, we can't. So there's there are a number of different things with drones and. The hard thing is the distance. Like we're we're talking we're talking coverage over seven out seven twenty six hours to you know nine and a half or ten hours of coverage. So to have drones up in the air, I suppose you're really wanting drones is just for the potentially for the bike course if we're looking at um, yeah minimising what happened on the weekend. Yes, drones I think one hundred percent could be used, um, but there are a lot of yeah technical aspects to to having drones up and then you know the coverage of the moto being next to a rider on the bike is pretty damn good and nice to watch the coverage from a drone yeah you'll still see the race and you'll see you'll see what's going on one good thing with the coverage of the drone is you will see you know one thing i get frustrated by there'll be 10 guys in a group and you know if steve and tim are sitting at the back you want you might not see them for the whole four hours of the bike. So a drone would show you a bit more of who's in the pack, especially if you know what color suit and stuff they're in. So that definitely could be good for the coverage. Um, even you just well, helicopters in the air that you know helicopters need to be used for live broadcast too, in a lot of places. So yeah, you, you you've got a few factors in play there. Um, yeah, I think people I've seen in the comments a lot of people saying, "Why can't you do it like the Tour de France?" And obviously, there's there's budget limitations for one. But the other thing is too, the Tour de France it. has way more motorbikes and cars and, and they, traffic they haven't on the got road. it perfect at all. Like, if, you, if, if if people really want to understand, go if you ever get the chance to ride in a team car behind any sort of major cycling event, jump in that team car and then hold on for your life and then really understand what happens to bring some of these races to, you know, to vision because mate, the Tour de France is, that's a massive circus and they do it extremely well, but they still have trouble. They still, they with, still have, they still have yeah. trouble with bikes. They have trouble with bikes. They have trouble with crowds. It's like, yeah. And it's the biggest, it's the biggest event, you know, in the world. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate your take on that one, Glenn. I mean, I don't, we, we didn't get you, just to talk, I mean, we we planned on talking to you about a lot of other things before this um, this incident happened, and um, it is good to hear the other side. I guess we we do to move away a little bit from it, and in no way dismiss it. Um, but I can also, I just ask you yeah. you boys both a question before we move yeah, yeah. on from that because I think it's quite important. Yeah. Um, do you? How much do you value the the broadcast and the media for, for you guys as a, as a pro athlete, both Tim and Steve? And, you know, at what point is that safety concern where it's like, okay, we have no media on the course, which is potentially what might happen in Challenger Off, I believe. Is there, they're taking a lot of the media motorbikes away. What's the, where's the balance between that? Steve, if you want to go first. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's huge value in it. And if there's a live coverage, we always try and pump it up because it's our, um, you know, all of our sponsors um, would would obviously enjoy live coverage, and and then the sport just it just makes the sport look a, more, a lot more professional as well. Um, so it's it is big for us, but we do also have another side to that to the motorbike stuff where we worry about 
uh, but the potential for, you know, uh, cheating or actually it's mostly accidental cheating, obviously, but um, it was, I don't know, for me, I've never really thought about it in a safety way because we haven't had a live broadcast myself where there's been too many, but I have seen races now. Um, I won't name anywhere in particular, but I have seen some live broadcasts where I'm like, geez, there's blokes that can't swim. Um, and if they're not a big name, they're a 0% chance now of catching back back up because these blokes are going 55Ks an hour um, thanks to these motorbikes. So there was, that's, you know, originally we wanted to get your take on that as well for this podcast um, before this yeah. incident. We were kind of like, let's get Glenn on for a few things, but, um, you know, you know a lot about why they're all there and why they need to be. So there's a positioning thing too. Maybe there's an education on your if you're if you're here you're going to you know change the race a fair bit and it's unfair for these athletes back a bit further back or or even if you try and break away it's kind of impossible with media because mm. uh you get a few hundred meters up the road and then the filmer the filming guy wants to come up and film you so they do but that you know that draft drags everyone back to you so yeah that that happened in melbourne a few times when it was live broadcast and that was a frustration for me it was the technical official that kept dragging but they wouldn't have known and because they are volunteers yeah. they also don't know that the draft effect is so big yeah you're 100 correct there just before you go ready that that fact that whoever is riding that media bike or in charge of that media bike like i, I will never try and shoot in front and back towards i'll always shoot side on and then get out of there um if you're shooting anywhere from you know, if I'm on the back of the bike and if I'm past the front wheel and I'm shooting back on you, you know, basically the three, the bikes in front of you, you know what I mean? That you, and you really shouldn't be in that position. You definitely shouldn't be in that position filming for a long period of time, because mm. as you know, over two, three minutes in that position, you can go from 45 to 60 K and th then you're gone, you know? So it's definitely, there's, yeah, once again, this conversation is going to be more and more prevalent now and, yeah, we do. It's education for yeah the the bike riders, the volunteers, the the media who might not understand that, and there are media who don't understand that. They should, but they don't. And um, even tech, the technical officials. So you you're hundred percent correct there. Glenn, I got a maybe a potentially uh, unfair question, but there was a lot of people I saw commenting as it happened, soon after it happened, saying why hasn't the entire race been shut down? like stopped yeah. and and i don't really have an opinion other than i thought jesus how the hell would you do that Just, you know i, I don't know yeah I'm, I'm i've read a lot of stuff this morning um which i'm sure we all have um yeah really hard to make a comment on that i think um yeah i i i think once again i go back to to joshy's comments and yeah i think it would have been really hard for those guys to to push on through to finish that race um yeah i suppose decisions are made in in the moment aren't they and mm. um that's why we're that's why the whole incidents happen you know a split decision and i don't think we can yeah i i, I can't really comment on that one mate it's a real hard one real real hard one um but imagine trying to stop yeah 2000 yeah I, I i don't even know where to start and where to stop with that Tim, your thoughts on Okay, it? my thoughts, um, I mean, as an athlete, to be honest, 
I would have been happy with no no media coverage on the bike because I I won races because of because of vehicles and I lost plenty of races because of vehicles. But I was just aware of how much it affected the race. Um, and but thinking bigger than just me and as an as an athlete now, you know, some slightly removed and looking from the outside. Of course, it's it's super important to have some coverage. So I think. Um, you know, for the sake of, there's no way you can do the coverage, I think, unless we find, you know, long distance traveling drones that somehow, you know, just follow the a sensor on a bike or whatever. At the moment, I don't think there's any way of doing coverage without somewhat making the race slightly unfair, but we've got to weigh up is the benefit of bringing the, the race to the people more beneficial than that. And I think, I think it probably is. I mean, I think the sport relies, pros rely on it. Um, obviously, race directors rely on sponsorship. Everyone involved needs uh, needs the coverage to happen at, at some level. Of course, you know, in in retrospect, and we can all say, you know, it should have been done better. And and we obviously Ironman are aware of that that now, as particularly with Hamburg. But I think um, the one thing I think people need to understand watching is that it will affect the race. You know, you you. I don't mind if it affects the race, if everyone understands it. And the person who rides three hours, 55 uh, on the bike course knows that, you know, knows that they got the advantage and, and it's, it's probably going to become like the Tour de France where that, that one rider holds off the whole peloton. He does have a, a motorbike yeah. right in front of him filming. You know, there's, there's just going to be, it's just going to be the way it is until the technology advances. But I think we're not that far away from getting to a point where there will be a good solution um, from a technological perspective, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, but we will get there. Um, it's it's going to happen. And I look forward to when it does in the meantime, I think we just have to accept that it's, uh, that, that there is going to be a certain element of risk. Um, we need to reduce that risk, obviously. Uh, and there's going to be an element where it does make the race. It does change the dynamics of the race. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I stand. I think, uh, mm. Yeah, there's no there's no real black and white for me on this. It's 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 quite a lot of grey. Oh, look, I think and Steve's about to see because there's going to be a lot of broadcasting cans, and obviously I'll be up there working. So, um, you know, he'll be able to see firsthand how that <clears throat> that works up up at Ironman Cans, and and I can tell you, I I'm, there's I won't be going into zones when the live broadcast is there. I'll be going straight past to to shoot, and that's just because it needs to be clear and, and that's already been instructed to me. So um, as I said, there are, yeah, there are things in place that have been happening and um, they will continue to, to happen to, to make sure that it's, yeah, a good broadcast, um, safe for the pros, hopefully um, better for the pros so there's not an advantage for, for lead motos or lead groups 100% because I think, yeah, we you guys definitely want fair racing. We all want to see fair racing, and we want to see safe racing. So, there's a way wider road in Cairns as well, isn't there? Because in Europe, well, it's a bit tough. Yeah, look, I think uh, you know that Captain Cook Highway. It's it's quite windy and undulating and stuff. So two way. Tra- anytime there's two way traffic on a course with motos, we all we all know there's it's you got to be you got to be super careful and, um, yeah, sometimes you know the the you're going to have to take the quickest line, I suppose, through, especially through a little technical section, which, you know, over, um, over Rex's lookout there in Kansas is definitely going to be that section. You've ridden it, Reedy, you, you know what it's mm. like. So 
Um, yeah, two-way, like if I'm ever in that section following any pros up the climb or down the climb, I'll just hang off the back and, you know, let let them go. So, um, I just yeah. thought I'd put a bit of a numerical figure on um, what sort of difference those motorbikes can make. Having looked at people's power, you know, races, my last stint in the US, I had a couple of live coverage races where I made the, the camera group and then looked at people's power who were seven or eight minutes behind. It is somewhere between over 70.3. For the same power, you're probably looking at somewhere between six to 10 minutes for some riders. And in an Ironman, you, it could be 15 to 20 minutes um, when it's not done well. Now, Glenn, yeah. like you said, whenever you come in for a photo, it's in for a photo, boom. Then you move on to the next rider. It, nearly everyone within that pro peloton gets their photo. You're not focusing on just the front guys, which makes it really fair. But I have to say, you're probably slightly rare in that sense, in that you really understand the dynamics. But people who think, oh, stop whinging, it's not that big a difference. Steve, you know, it's it's like yeah. if you see if you see the live <laughs> coverage go up the road with four guys and you're 300 metres behind, it's like, all right, I'll see you. I'll be off the bike eight minutes behind them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the reason I started trying to swim faster because I was like, there's blokes up front who who won't tell that camera to piss off <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But my my goal is to be the guy that if I'm getting a benefit from that lead motorbike that unfortunately isn't 500 meters like they said it would be and it's more like 50, to be the guy waving his arms going, piss off, I don't want the advantage because I've whinged for many years about many this. Many years, yeah. I think that lead motorbike you're talking about has it's that's definitely been one of the major changes. Mm. Um, that's yeah. improved. It's improved out of sight. Yeah, yeah. Some and I know in some races now that they're not even using a lead mm. moto in that regard. And that's maybe because we don't have as many volunteers sometimes with bikes. So, um, mm. so can, I, I want to um, move away sort of from the, you know how sad that topic is. I did have some questions planned for you, Glenn. Um, before all this happened, um, <laughs> take me back, man. What were your sports growing up? <laughs> uh, what were my sports growing up? No. Oh, mate, I, I pretty much just grew up doing swimming and surf lifesaving. Um, yeah, like I was pretty passionate about doing surf lifesaving surf club all my life in the ocean. Um, did flatwater kayaking on the back of that, flatwater kayaking and surf ski paddling towards the end of my little stint as an athlete. I pretty much love sport did all sports through school footy basketball all my mates played basketball and footy um, but i was doing swimming and lifesaving and yeah that was pretty much that's i think that's why i'm so attached to doing what i do with with you guys is i i just really love sport and I've, i think i love excellence in sport too um obviously being with liz for a, a long period of time and learning so much about endurance training through all the coaches that she'd been with when I was still paddling and, you know, like kayaking, you're, you're racing over three minutes, 30 and a minute 40. So totally different to um, training for an Olympic distance um, triathlon or, a, or an Ironman or something. But yeah, I just, I love sport growing up. If, if I could, yeah. To give the listeners a bit more background, um, Liz, your wife who coaches with RPG as well, she, you know, was one of the best of the best, uh, multiple world championship podiums in Kona. And, you know, as an ITU athlete, argue, uh, controversially was left off the Olympic team. 
when you were, I'm interested in how you fell into the photography. Was it a planned thing, you know, or did it just, was it just a sort of organic process that happened because you were getting bored at races? Yeah. So I was, I was traveling with Liz quite a bit. So um, when Liz is still racing ITU, we, you know, we put all the eggs into the basket of her trying to go to the games and, you know, obviously try and medal as you, as you want to do if you go to the Olympics. And so we, We'd rent our house out on the Goldie for. I was working full time with a business, and I um, quit that. And then we were like, "We'll go." Liz was racing for the UK, so we'd spend six months in the UK, and then I'd come back and I'd lifeguard in Australia for six months. And so while I was doing that, the, the some of the boys I used to lifeguard with, they're all into surfing, and they'd always make and surf edits of when they'd be away. And so I was like, oh, "I'll just start making some little clips of Liz when we're at races," and you know try and capture a race and put it all together. So I just started doing video work like that and um, all self-taught and yeah, just chopping things together with a little Canon camera and a, and a GoPro and um, wasn't, it was probably like a year or two after doing the video stuff that I really started to take up more photography. And I, I liked to time-lapse stuff a lot when I was doing the video. So obviously, you know, time-lapsing sunrises and, you know, the ocean or whatever, you, you learn quite a bit about photography and doing that. Um, and then, yeah, just got, obviously, I, I spent a lot of time in Boulder in, in the back end of Liz's career. We, we were there for three or four months and, you know, I get to hang out with, with you know, there was quite a good crew of Aussies there um, with Burks and Apo and um, a number of others. And Timmy Don was there, spent a lot of time with Donnie and then Donnie would want a little project. So we'd make a little video and then more and more sponsors would come to me for different things, for different athletes. Um, so the opportunities just grew there to where after a couple of years, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go full time with this. And um, I got some really good opportunities in the sport, um, working with Australian Triathlete Magazine, um, which was when Steph Hansen was involved and um, and Amy Johnson after she took over from Steph and they, they kept me on and they gave me some really good opportunities and I got to be as creative as I wanted to be. And once again, I got to hang out with, you know, Australia's best triathletes and um, yeah. So that was really good opportunities and yeah, things just built from there. And then obviously social media took off and my corrupt vision side of things. Yeah. Took off quite well with that and yeah, worked pretty hard put myself in good good spaces or with good people and got to hang out with you Reedy and do a lot of stuff with you and um so I'm quite I feel like I'm quite fortunate that um yeah a little a little hobby and something that started out just trying to help Liz to gain sponsorship back in the day you know before the real YouTube thing and that that everyone's doing now um yeah it 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 worked out and I'm still doing it full-time now like 11 years or so later and yeah I feel yeah pretty privileged to be able to spend days with Daniela leading into Kona and work for her and with Braden and yeah it's just it's it's a good environment. What are some of the um, coolest locations you've got to go to? Is Kona just the best because of the vibe or like? Oh, I really I do I like I love Kona um I, I really enjoyed Kona this year because the first week I was there, I got to go to some of the, the better parts of the island. Maddie Burton did some insane rides and we got to go up the volcano and stuff. I, I, filming in Kona when you're just on the Queen K every day and around town is quite hard, but 
the big island for those who haven't really explored it is amazing um and the you know shooting up around where those volcanoes and stuff are yeah is is all time so i really enjoyed that oh, locations wise i got to go for a brief stint to the tour and just chase it um no media pass no nothing but just chase it in a car around <laughs> around france um so that was that was pretty cool um there's still yeah i'd still love to shoot there's locations that i'd love to shoot a bit more of like say like patagonia man or um some some of those yeah the norseman series and stuff that that would be pretty epic um to to capture you know in australia i, I love shooting busso um i love that area and um yeah just, just shooting stuff where i can be underwater is always good too um yeah kona definitely definitely rates rates up there it's that's what i mean everyone when i say oh, i'm going to kona for a month everyone's like oh how lucky you're going to hawaii i'm like well it's actually like pretty damn oh, hard work and it's hot <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and it's pretty yeah. full on but at the same time yeah as i said it's amazing i get to catch up with heaps of crew that we've known in the industry for the last 20 odd years like get to see guys like will clark who i spent time with in loughborough and liz raced with in the gb team who's clark he's a legend and um, Timmy Don and yeah, a, hand, a number of others, Tyler Butterfield, or, or heaps of these crew who spent a fair bit of time with through that period. Um, now that we don't get to travel as much and you know, base in Boulder and stuff, and these guys have moved on and retired, a, a, you know, Kona's always a good catch up too. So that's a really nice thing. Um, there's plenty of people who I've met through this industry who are, you know, I classify as quite good friends and, um, yeah, it just makes me smile when I see them. And that's one thing I love about the sport is those people that I've had those interactions with, whether it be work or riding a bike, doing a coffee ride in Boulder or whatever, but you don't see them for a while. But, yeah, it's really nice to to catch up. It's an amazing community. Like I think lots of people will say this about triathlon, whether they're in a uh, age group team, whether it's triadelaide, RPG, you know, you do form these little communities within the endurance sport. And even though it's such a – solo challenge and pursuit and quite selfish at times um there's still these times when you come together as a community and and look hopefully off the back back of what happened on the weekend we can continue to remember that we are a pretty strong community and, and it is an amazing sport um yeah and and yeah we just continue to show share a bit of love you know yeah. Um, when I've got two more points. Steve might cut in and have something in between. But the first question I have is you're, you're a passionate man. Um, there's I won't get into politics, um, but I am wondering, what's the number one thing that you feel most passionate about, keeping it to triathlon, that you would love to see changed in the sport? Um, you've, you've, think- you've been as involved as anyone and you're as passionate as anyone I know. What's the I number one? Most people would I like. I would just like to see their more money for the professionals at yeah at, at a high end. Oh, there's two things really in, in regards to that. It was I would like to see all parties come together in a way and work on a on a proper series um, that sees yeah the best athletes across you know Olympic distance through to Ironman or even sprint through to Ironman race each other multiple times a year. Um, and in that, that series then gets elevated to, I suppose, similar to what the, the PTO are trying to set up. Um, 
but yeah, just maybe more more money, more professionalism in the sport, and it, it is getting that way in some regards. But I also think that our sport to people outside is quite diluted. Not our sport; it's not my sport at all. Um, your sport is is potentially quite diluted with with all the different series and um, races going on. And I don't I I don't I don't like that side of it. I feel like it's a bit confusing for people. And maybe that's because I look at sports that I like surfing that I like, and it has a world, has a world tour, and you you know the best guys are going to come eight to ten times a year, and they're going to surf against each other, and there's all that hype there, and then it's got a feeder series underneath it. So that's probably one thing I would I would like to see. Um, the second thing would be cleaning up the sport in regards to potentially just more professionalism on the on the doping side of things. Um, that's a yeah, that's a whole nother podcast right there. But um, I feel like this is not it's not a new topic. It's a topic that's been in the sport for a long time. You know, the best thing about what happened the other month was that so many um, high level professional pros voiced their opinion quite strongly, and I think that was one of the most positive things about wh- where we are as triathlon as community is that. Um, yeah, nothing gets swept under the rug and and hidden. So I just yeah would like to see more stronger controls and testing and everything to keep to keep that you know to keep that integrity of our sport. And lots of people get on comment like, oh yeah, everyone's doing this and everyone's doing that. Well, until people start getting caught, no one really knows. It's all just it's all just smoke and mirrors. So, Glenn, do you want to um, tell us about a towie? Given it's all fresh and new as well, before we end things up. What's what's that? What's who's yeah? <laughs> so yeah, I think for for some of you, well, you you guys obviously know, but um, those people out in podcast land, yeah, I've put my hat in the ring in a in a new apparel brand um, called Atoi. I'm in the cycling, triathlon, and running space. It just started up, launched at seventy point three Geelong. And things are going really good. We've got some really, really nice kit. We've just launched uh, our pro-level cycling kit, um, which I've had my bum in, and I really like it. Um, it's, it's good. And we've got, great, we've got a great, great, <laughs> group, of, great group of athletes um, on board, which I'm really passionate about. Obviously, you guys know that. I'm passionate about pro racing. Um, so I'm really happy that I can – support in a small way at the moment and hopefully that will be bigger at some stage um with you know caleb and charlie quinn and nick free and then we've got chloe lane racing at ironman cans in a kit kate gillespie jones um sophie perry we've got like you know three of the, our females are all first time pros this year so that's really positive and and you know i'd like to help them you know Atoe's there obviously we want the brand and the community to grow um, and I want to help the pros that um, we work with. I want to help them to grow um, with content and stuff like that. And we're just trying to do something maybe, you know, that's a little bit more unique in the market. Um, produce good kit, work to tell good stories of the people who connect with our with our kit and our brand. Um, yeah, it's all it's all interesting. Like I've I had multiple opportunities over the last. 10 or so years to do something in this space and I missed I missed some opportunities so um this one came along and 
yeah, it's, I've got some two business partners who I'm working with, Simon and Neil, and um, we're all really different and unique in our own spaces within the within the brand, which is I think is a really good fit. And, and Neil's in the UK, so we we are starting to um, head over and push into the UK as well. So um, yeah. We've got RPG on board and Trailblade. Yeah. So um, we're doing a lot of custom orders actually at the moment. And we're getting a lot of really positive feedback on the kits, like a, a lot of positive feedback, which which makes me really happy because I don't want to have shit products. Uh, I, if I'm, you know, there's one thing, if I'm going to put my name to something, I've got to make sure that, yeah, it's it's quality hopefully. And I think we're we're on that path, so. That's great. Thanks for, that. Thanks for that question, Danny. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you'd be successful, Glenn, uh, regardless of how good or bad the product was, just because you were in charge of uh, making videos and making it look cool. But then, but then to learn from everyone who's used it that that it really is high quality and you do care is really cool. So I think you, yeah, um, I think... yeah, you've cemented a spot in that area. Yeah, hopefully, mate. Thank you. It's a long. We've still got a long way to go, and. And look, you've got to have big goals. It's, you know, like we don't want to just sell some kit in Australia. We want to have pretty big goals and move into some different spaces too. So, um, yeah. And I, and as I said, back to the thing, I really want to help our athletes who connect to the brand. I'm pretty passionate about supporting, yeah, the pro side of whatever field of these triathlon running, trail running. Yeah. So. Thanks, mate. Final question. Um, your body's pretty broken. Um, <laughs> one particular injury was Apo's Bucks. What year was that? Oh. <laughs> a few years ago. And my friend Flashbacks. Luke Martin um, dug a water slide out of a mountain on, on his in his backyard and actually used a tractor to dig it um, and turn it into a death slide. And one, someone said, oh, we should all go down together. And everyone was like, yeah, except for Glenn and I. We were the sensible ones. We're like, no, that's a bad idea. But then we both succumbed to peer pressure and you went down and you, if anyone wants to check it on my Instagram, it went viral, the clip. But Glenn is the last person down and he lands fair on his head on one of these poorly designed (laughs) corners and it really messed up your neck. I know you've got a few injuries, but is that the worst one you've, you've had over the years? Oh, it's probably... Yeah, probably the stupidest one I've had over the years. The other ones were due to like training too much, but this one was like, yeah, as you said, really, like we were both like, no, 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 this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And we did it anyway. And yeah, I ended up like scorpion, doing a scorpion over the edge of that thing and smashed into Clado. Clado, I still remember hitting Clado in the back at full speed and the thud that that made. And lucky we'd had a few shandies before that. that it sort of did you push on, Glenn? Yeah, yeah, we pushed on. <laughs> I think we finished up at four in the morning. Just, just quietly. We'll share that, that video on the, we'll share that video on the tri-therapy stories if anyone wants to check it out. But um that was the last And um, Apo did his knee. Ap, poor Apo. Yeah, like, yeah, mate. It was seen for a while. Almost the end of his career. I'm glad he's back, mate. I'm glad Apo's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Glenn, mate. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And obviously, you know, given everything that, that happened on Sunday, it's uh, really good to, I guess, hear the other side from what the media have to go through. Or we wanted to chat to you about all the other things to do with your career and congratulate you on, you know, such a success within the sport. And thank you also from all the pros 
on behalf of all the pros, mate, you uh, have done so much for all of us. You know, we talk about more money for pros, but you've you've definitely done that in your own special way, you know. So we appreciate you. Um, much love. and uh, Thank you, gents. See you out there on the course. Appreciate being on. Anytime. Thanks, man. Yo.